Hey everyone, and welcome to Beyond GIS, the show that helps you leverage digital geography to make critical decisions in a changing world. I'm Kurt, your host and founder of Orbica, an organization committed to pioneering geospatial democracy. We're going to deep dive into topics like the role of geospatial and digital transformation, developments and opportunities in geospatial, space, earth observation, and helping you abolish silos for better collaboration and transparency and visibility. We're looking to drop a new episode every other Wednesday because we believe that everyone deserves to access and leverage the power of geospatial in the modern world. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Beyond GIS. In this episode, we're going to look at risk management, talk a bit about governance, and particularly project governance and getting value landed um, inside organizations and inside business. So today I've got another colleague with me, uh, Gareth, Gareth Levins, who's Head of Ops here at Orbica. So uh, let's dive into how Gareth landed with us to start with and see its relevance to the discussion today. Gareth, um, how have you landed here? What's your journey? What brought you to Orbica? Well, I basically I started, I've been working in project delivery now for over 10 years. And I've worked in, for a large manufacturing company that went to University of Canterbury. They went to Statistics New Zealand, where I was working on part of the last census, and that was where I met Santosh. He came in and he was he built a um, desktop canvassing tool for us at census, and I was kind of blown away by how you could put all of this re- really useful contextual data on a map, and that was sort of my first introduction to geospatial and and how powerful it was because I'd sort of worked as a as a BA and I've always found it hard to visualize data or find a meaningful way to visualize it. And then when Santos mm-hmm. showed me that, I could see longitudinally what was happening at an address and it was really, really powerful. So then I went from stats and I was sort of stalking Orbica for a while, just watching them on LinkedIn. I could see like culturally we were aligned, they played sport together, were doing really interesting work and I just bided my time until a role popped up and then I applied. And then, um, the rest, as I say, the rest is history. It sure is. So uh, if we're looking ahead, well, actually, what's an, what's an experience you look back on? Maybe one of the projects we delivered, one of our customers that you sort of think, well, that, that was great. That was really interesting for, for both sides, actually. Well, I think the bit for me that, I'm, that I really love about working at Orbica is we're doing things that the customers, you know, it's an idea and we're taking their idea into reality. Mm-hmm. And the way that we... we Um, structure our projects is every two weeks we do a demo to the customer and it's always sort of blown away by the quality of the work that we do and the customer's reaction to it as well too they're genuinely normally blown away by what it is that they see because a lot of what we do is really visual Mm. and and that that makes it a lot of fun and the guys um, feed off that as well because it's it's such a great feeling to enable people to give them you know what they want Mm. so as you know, everything's about people, right? Technology is technology. You need the right technology mm-hmm. to enable stuff to happen, particularly in this modern world, uh, and especially when it comes to data, um, interoperability and everything else. But really, when we think about the people layer and the sort of change management layer, uh, what are some of the insights and, and how does that relate to kind of the sorts of teams, but actually the sorts of customers we love to work with as well? I think we, we want to work hand in hand with customers. We want them to be coming on the journey with us. We take great pride in the way that we we work and how we involve the customer in the decision making process. We have never wanted to be a dev shop where Mm. you just get handed a proposal, 
you go away and do the work for four weeks and then ta-da, you show it to them. That's not what we do. We have regular stand-ups with a customer. Um, we do the demo at the end of it. We run through all the time. We involve them in all of the decision-making. So they're getting ultimately what they want at the end of it as well too because a lot of it when we kick off a project is a journey of discovery mm-hmm. as well. We've gone in and done that initial <coughs> sort of created the statement of work but then as you get into it there's, there could be you know more benefits that could be realised as well and then you get in a sort of a trade-off discussing that and I think probably the bit that I like the most is we have long-term relationships with mm-hmm. our customers so we get to learn about what they do and we take them on the journey with us as well and they learn about what we do and we learn about what they do mm-hmm. which is which is awesome what about the uh the types of folks you know in terms of values and and sort of what we look for uh that makes a great orbican i guess for me the the key question i'm giving away some of my secrets here why orbica is a question i always ask and that i want to see whether or not they've sort of one, how to look at it, mm. look at the website and understand what we do. But sort of to gauge how passionate they are about what we do, if they start talking about maps, you know, AI, anything to do with geospatial, you know, then I know that they're really interested in what we do and they're going to be a fit for what we're going to do. Traditionally, we, I, we look for people who I sort of consider as being Swiss Army knives. So who've got lots of different interests in lots of different things. Mm. Um, I find it interesting when people have bounced around a bit in their career as well because it shows the potential to learn because they've gone into potentially different domains Mm. or different tech stacks, which makes them more interesting because we're looking to build out a team with not, you know, 23 of the same individuals. We want a common sort of ethos across them but we really like the idea of people having different skill sets and different experiences because that gives a richer offering to Orbica and to our customers. Yeah, look, it's great insights. It's that sort of curiosity, isn't it? Mm. And it's particularly relevant with us because everything is about the world, right? That is geospatial, that representation. Yeah. Uh, what is it, I sort of reflect on some of the work you've done in particular with Sargo actually and the AI team. Um, how you guys have crafted how to take a customer on a journey because it's highly complicated it and is. you know AI by virtue of deep learning and whatnot often creates black boxes mm. but you, you sort of explain that journey sort of through the delivery process the engagement process with the customer particularly with AI I guess well I guess the big one for me was before I started Orbiker I knew about AI but I'd never worked in AI there's the robots are coming right yeah the whole lot I mean Elon Musk neural nets the whole lot um, and it was kind of the point where it, I would ask questions of Sagar to try and understand, and then it was looking at it through the customer's lens mm-hmm. of, you know, it's very easy to talk technical, but the hard bit is to to change that technical into just everyday mm-hmm. speak so everyone gets it. So we'd, over the course of the last two years, have worked on a script and a way of explaining it so mm-hmm. that we're taking, removing all the jargon and taking the customer on the journey so that they then understand the process which is really cool and through that you know the customers are a lot more engaged they know what they're getting they understand you know we talk about it warts and all mm-hmm. you know when we hit problems and obstacles mm-hmm. as well we discuss that Sagar likes to play tricks on me as well too and he there was one customer in particular where he told me the model was really bad 
and he still had two days before we did the demo and he wouldn't tell me what the results were until we turned up in the meeting and he took a zero to an 85 percent so i was sitting a, a bit sort of nervous and then he pulled it out of the hat you know and it, the beauty of ai is the bulk of it is visual so you can show the customer what it is i mean the other organizations i worked at a lot of the stuff was database related which is essential but it's not sexy if you're an end user mm -hmm. you know because you do a demo and you go, what are you going to do run a script and watch it tile through whereas with what we do it's highly visual mm -hmm. so it's, it's easy for the customers to engage with it and get excited about it yeah that's it's awesome gareth um <clears throat> if we think about sort of Risk management, mm -hmm. I guess, or, or getting successful de projects delivered. Let, yep. Let's look at it from that angle. Uh, what are some of the learnings, particularly in our world? I mean, data is just not black and white. Data is always grey. And I think a lot of what we're trying to do is be very open with customers at the mm -hmm. very start about data is grey. Actually, no one's done this before. We've got the tools, we've got the people, mm -hmm. but the actual challenge itself is new and different. So taking people on that learning discovery and really helping set expectations. Yep. But I think it's through that visibility, isn't it? The communication oh, structures we're building that just... Hugely. It starts with the first engagement with the, the sales team talking to the, the customer and figuring out what they want and making sure that we get the delivery teams involved as early as possible so that they understand the whole the, whole, the big picture effectively because mm -hmm. we don't want to be building in a silo. We've evolved our delivery process a lot over the last two and a half years. We're always trying to find you know, a better way to engage with the customer, deliver the product, de-risk it from, from both sides as well. A huge part of that is we always make sure that we have a project kickoff internally and externally with the client to explain, you know, what the deliverables are to make sure everyone's on the same page. We break the work up into fortnightly sprints so the customer will be the product owner so they know mm -hmm. what they're getting as well. And we try and have the customer sitting on our hip as much as possible all the way through projects. And we've done that with clients in Europe as well, managed out of New Zealand, because that's, that's the world we live in now. Mm. But we know we constantly evolve. We know we're not perfect, so we're always looking for better ways to do it. And we tend to fit in with the customer as well. So some customers prefer a more traditional waterfall approach, mm. some like a more agile slash scrum approach, some like a combi of the two, we just figure out you know, what works best for the client at the time to meet their needs. Yeah, I mean, look, you mentioned perfect, right? And um, perfect is the enemy of done. It's mm. something I use around here quite a bit. And I think that's really important, particularly in our world with data and grayness and blurriness and megadata. Uh, it's a pretty interesting thing to think about. So again, it's just that clear communication, expectation. It's just relationships, right? Oh, End of the day, it's, it's just relationships. Everything is. I mean, and our guys, the team would go forever to make a perfect solution because they get excited about what they're doing and they can see the see the next mm. thing, you know, the next exciting thing to do because if, every day they're faced with a new problem. You so, know, and they thrive in that yeah. sort of, and they've gone, well, how can we do this? And then mm. it's like, well, I need the next thing to... So when you joined a few years ago, um, you know, obviously delivery lead initially, and we're delivering lots of different work, different mm. types of workloads, app development, geospatial, full stack development, um, AI workloads. Now, obviously, with the transition to building out, you know, a platform to really empower so, so many more people than mm. our team alone, 
you know, what, what's exciting there for you, uh, you know, compared to where we've been and where we're going? What, what does that mean to you? I think for me, it's, it's, it's building something that is going to endure and it's going to, you know, help a lot of people mm-hmm. in the world. I mean, I get excited when I'm part of my thing is I like helping people. So if we can make the world a better place with mm-hmm. the platform and enable and push out geospatial tools wider than just the geospatial industry, because I, th- I kind of think of my Eureka moment when I was at Stats and Sh- Santos showed me that geos- geospatial viewer, you know, you roll that out across every other business, there's going to be people like me sitting there that's never seen it before. Mm-hmm. And once they see it, you know, the little light bulb will go off and going to think, start thinking about all the fantastic opportunities that they could do to build cool stuff that tells a <coughs> awesome story with their data. I mean, we see that all the time, right, in terms of... Um customers like you get something in front of them and then oh man what about xyz this that and the other and i think that's part of the agile delivery process is when you start an engagement right we just often don't know where the value's highest none of us knows the point is we're going on a journey together we spend a lot of time i mean we really want to learn about the customer's domain as well too and that can take Mm. a little while because it is inherently complicated Mm. So that can take a little while. And once we get through that, then we start going, well, actually, what other value can we add? Mm. You know, we like to, at the end of a, a project, you know, write up a whole list of recommendations as well of what we would do next if, if the, there was an endless mm. pot of money, which is, you know, <coughs> is exciting. And that's what the team love, love to do is, to, you know, try and roll that solution all the way up mm. to the end game. And I think that's what's been missing up until now because we've always had shorter term engagements, whereas now we're getting to build something, you know, from the ground up all the way through and do it, you know, in the best possible way. So as we look to, as we build out this platform and start to um, onboard the first foundational customers, Mm. um, I mean, I'm personally quite excited by sort of, um, not the split, but the different functions we have to start growing inside the business around sort of a customer success team, support team. And then also that sort of repositioning of our professional services really mm. into more of a, we call it internally, the data squad, the app squad, where it's about helping our customers be successful on the platform yeah. with our help. But it's about the empowerment and enablement of them. Mm. Um, how do you reflect on that as we look forward, as we sort of grow those different parts? And, and honestly, we'll iterate mm. as to make that work. As well, I think the biggest challenge for us moving forward is building that next level of leadership. Mm. And that's going to come down, you know, we start forming the data squad and the app squad and whatnot as well and and making sure that, you know, everyone's paddling in the right direction as well too and the leadership's all the same and the message isn't getting diluted. So that's where it comes back to, you know, when we go through the, the hiring process to make sure that we get people right from the start that understand our vision and can come in and, and are comfortable mm. sort of operating in the grey a little bit because that's where we'll be for a little while as we, you know, we build out a strong structure, we build out the platform, you know, everything's in flux mm. at the moment. And we've got, the, we've got an idea of the destination. Mm. Uh, it's the journey we're going on yep. that is the unknown factor right now. And that's the fun and, and exciting bit. The, yeah, I 100% agree. You know, it can be a little bit, I wouldn't, I'd be lying if I said there weren't times where it scares me a little bit, but at the same time, I'd be worried if it didn't scare me <laughs> a little bit, you know, because it's a big thing yeah. that we're doing, but it's exciting. And I'm, I'm loving seeing how the team's growing mm. 
as well and they're taking on you know bigger roles they're thinking about you know how we can do things better constantly how we can structure the teams it's just, it's just amazing it really yeah, is yeah, yeah. it's I, I agree it's incredible it's an amazing team um, if we step back a little bit so come back to some of the risk elements and yeah. governance a place, and you'll be well aware of this, obviously in your engagements, is data, standards, quality, access to data. Yeah. So if we think about some of our bigger customers, potentially you know, some of the government customers, it, how do we help them go on the journey, right, of that discovery? Because often they've got the data. It's just mm. buried somewhere in the organization yeah. or locked up in some system somewhere. So I don't know, reflect on that a little bit, uh, and particularly as it relates to successful project delivery. I think what we find is that the data can be quite siloed, especially the bigger the organization, the bigger, well, the more silos there are. So it's, I guess, it's our teams explaining to them, you know, what the end game can potentially be and then helping the customer to fill in the blanks mm. by saying, you know, we need to, to achieve this, we're going to need this data and this kind of quality standard and reverse engineer it. I think another thing that we do really well is that we really understand open data mm-hmm. as well, so that where we, uh, an entity may not have all of the data, we can backfill it with open source data. For example, like OpenStreetMap, we use that mm-hmm. pretty much every other day. Yeah, yeah great point. Um, yeah, look, fantastic point. And a lot of the customers aren't aware that these data sets are out there, that they're free, they're really high quality, I mean, what I love about that, so if we take the OSM example, is, you know, and we've got a couple of customers, once they start to see and understand the value of that mm. open source data, and essentially global crowdsourcing of that data, they start to go, oh, how can we actually be part of that? Because that, that, that value in that data is so huge to the customer, once it's in the right system and exposed to them through the right solutions, they actually want to be part of that community and want to actually, how do we push our information back to OSM so the boat, all, all the boats rise? Yep. I think the thing is there's been a mindset shift with government departments and other big entities that open source data mm-hmm. isn't the devil. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not someone writing malicious code sitting mm-hmm. in the background trying to take down the systems. These are built by people who are passionate about what they do. And, you know, we all are better for it because instead of five developers sitting in a room hacking some code together, there could be a thousand people mm-hmm. working on this wanting to make it better because they genuinely care in the output. Cool, so actually if we reflect on some of those challenges um, we're just speaking to around open data, often uh, you know, uh, an owner of a data set inside a business, mm. wherever that may be, won't open it up, not because they don't want to help, but actually it's that perceived liability issue around it. Uh, you know, is that water pipe, is that asset, is mm. that building footprint actually where it really is? Mm. And we talk a lot about that, actually, you got to get it in front of the eyeballs because the eyeballs will very quickly tell you what's wrong, what's right, yep. and then hence where to focus your effort. Again, if it's locked up, you're never going to find out what's not right until it actually becomes a problem sometime. Well, especially if it's sitting in it's buried in an Excel spreadsheet, three folders deep. <laughs> on a C drive. On a C drive. I mean, and that's the problem. And you know, what we do is we take the data out of the C drive and we visualize it mm. so not just the person who has it buried in the C drive understands it, it's so that mm. anyone can understand it. And then we'll overlay some more contextual information over the top of mm. that. So you're getting a, a wider picture. So you might have, you know, open street maps and then have the position of where the pipe is relative to mm. the fence and whatnot as well. And then you can 
give it to someone who's actually going to go out in the field. Mm-hmm. You know, it just helps with the decision making process. I mean, I always think about what we do as we sit in the enablement space. So we build things that enable people to make decisions. And, and that's what we do yeah. at, our, at our core. But yeah, end of the day, if you're not, if a project's not leading to a decision or a key insight mm. that's going to drive a behavior change, well, actually, it's had no value. I mean, you, you, other than it's a nice, pretty picture yep. or a report or an Excel spreadsheet, whatever it might be. I mean, another interesting thing to think about is uh, so open data, cool, good. We often talk about data fusion, mm. and a customer often sits on vast amounts of untapped data. I mean, we're working with some interesting sort of logistics sort of folks at the mm. moment, and um, they have such a wealth of information, mm. like inside their telematic systems and everything else. Yep. And that augmentation of open data with their own data creates an intelligence product that truly is unique and is a competitive advantage. Mm. Um, whereas so many other folks, they just that value from a telematic system is just used for, I don't know, the driver's logbook yeah. and actually not nothing else. Well, it's not telling it, a complete story because you don't have the, the underlying environment that that truck is traveling on. Yeah, so. and the context of the customers it's serving. Yep. Um, so again, more just a reflection, but uh, that potential to bring open data sets, which you should be a good mm. custodian of, and if you're getting value of, you should play a role in making those data sets better, but the combination with your own stuff will create a unique solution rather than using one of the, I don't know, openly available commercial products for routing, for instance. Yep. So it's again, um, it's understanding the purpose and what you're trying to achieve, but find that gold lying in the gold mine of your data assets you're not using. And that's where we come in. Nearly every time we take your data and then add it to the other things that we know that are out there and, and give it more context. It's so, you know, we're always doing that through the glue of location, of mm. geography. Yeah. yeah. If you reflect back before you knew about Orbica and you met Santosh, why did you never come across it? Because this is permeate. No one understands this stuff in, just, these, in these circles. I'd never seen it. I'd had never, like I'd worked in manufacturing, education, and then government. And I'd just never seen it. And I was, I think if I had seen it earlier in my life, that would have been a route I would have gone down. Mm. Because it is, it's fascinating. Yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's just this, somehow it's locked up with knowledge of the Mm. few for some reason, right? And uh, it's weird because often, like my background, the geospatial specialists, they want to share, they want to do more, they want to... I don't know, it just it's, it but permeates the sector, I guess, this well, industry. It's a, it's a small minority normally mm. within an organization that that has access to these tools mm. and it's difficult to share and they can get just, just get caught up with doing the day-to-day as opposed to the value add. I mean, there's some numbers out there that I've shared around the business, some reports and stuff that, that have been done globally. You know, there's 400,000 GIs, Professionals like hardcore mm. sort of folks that do, you know, good just special work. I guess that's their focus of their role. Yeah. But I mean, that's a tiny number. It's a very you know, number. there's tens and tens and tens of millions of developers, data analysts, data scientists. So again, that's the bit that really excites me is how do you empower those folks well, with just special data knowledge tools? And that's the thing. I mean, it's applicable to just about everything. Because you've got insurance companies, they could use it for where crashes happen for cars yeah. to understand, you know road risk and simple things like that but it's it's not their core focus 
I mean, reflecting on, so if we think about a customer, big organization, they have a geospatial team mm. um, that's trying to do good work, often bogged down by BAU, you know, because mm. they're so busy. How do you reflect on that with the experience of our, you know, our team and the geospatial specialists we've got and how they engage with customers? Is there a learning for how those GIS departments and teams can better engage internally? to drive geospatial within the department, within the organisation, the agency? I think the key bit is they need to move out of the GIS department and go and learn what the rest of the business is doing. Mm. And then that pull that knowledge back to the GIS team and think, you know, well, how can we use this knowledge to then build something that will empower the rest of the business? Because GIS just isn't all about maps. <laughs> Not at all. You know, there's a lot more cool stuff you can do with it as well, and it's an education piece. Mm. So you go and talk to the business, you know, about what they do. I mean, if you're looking 400,000 people across the world trying to influence, I don't know how many people are in the working population for the world, that is a very, very, very small number. Mm. You know, and I, I think most, what I've seen from my experience is once people see it and they start to understand it, they can really see we the see value in it and, and yeah. what it does. I mean, I always talk to people, they go, what are you doing? I said, oh, we're geospatial artificial intelligence. And they all geospatial. And it's like, well, you start talking about the Uber app. Mm. And then they get it straight away. And it's, it's yeah. not just maps, it's routing. It's, you know, location intelligence, remote sensing. It's AI. There's so many different layers mm. to it. Like I'm constantly blown away by the stuff K2 looks at mm. with his point clouds and the LiDAR. Yep. And then you start thinking... You know what other applications has that got as well and i think that the bit that's missing is the the technology has got ahead of business and they don't know how to implement it or they don't even understand that it's out there yet and i think that's where that education piece yeah. becomes really powerful it's the um the way i sort of think about it is you know it the it function of a business mm. if we call it that is there to serve the business to help the various departments of value obviously mm. be successful and really geospatial, I think, we have to think about ourselves as that. It's mm. not, we're not the team that does everything, we're the team that enables geospatial through the business and goes out, yeah. does the outreach, and doesn't actually bring it all back necessarily the team. We've empowered others. Mm. I mean, we reflect on meeting someone the other day, an environmental scientist in an agency, and it was amazing. Like They've got a geospatial team, which is great, but actually she's enabled. She's using QGIS mm. um, and doing actual GIS, but using it as a tool for yep. her domain of environmental science yep. rather than the GIS itself being a thing. Mm. And so that allowed the geospatial team to then permeate that value to everybody in the business. It's amazing. Well, she uh, becomes that's what we then an advocate through the 100%. whole organization saying, look at this, how cool I can do X, Y, Z with it. And then they've got the geospatial experts they go back to when they need to. Mm. but. For the 80-20 rule, she's empowered to do what she has to do with geospatial, which frees up those guys to actually go and do more cool innovation, think next about where geospatial needs to go inside the business. So it's, it's yeah, I don't well, know. Well, that's sort of the dream for the platform is you've got your three levels mm. of users where you've got the, you can have a developer working in there, you can have a front-end app sitting on the top of it for your end user, you know, someone cutting code, building all sorts of weird and wonderful stuff and serving it out. <laughs> via a push of a button out to other people to use. I mean, it's, mm. it's powerful. And then you've got all the metadata around the um, different layers of information as well too, which, you know, it just becomes a, a central repository to enable people to do wonderful things and enable their business. 
Hello, as we look to sort of wrap up this episode, Gareth, um, a bit of a cool out really. I mean, you're trying to build a, an amazing team and, mm. and work with our colleagues uh, around the world um, to again, build amazing teams in market. Um, who are you looking for? What sort of folks? What, what, what sort of, not the roles, yeah. the type of folks you really want to bring into the team? I'm really looking for passionate people who care about what they do. They're curious about the world, curious about tech, great team players um, and are comfortable working in the grey mm. because th it's going to be an interesting journey that we're on and sometimes you're going to need to play out of position. Yeah, 100%. You know, and, and that's that's a rare skill set. So We talk a lot about the T-shaped people. Yeah. You know, and I think it's very pertinent to our business. It is. I mean, an example of that, we hired someone recently that's got 3D gaming experience, you know, and we just... Sitting there going, that sounds really, really useful. You know, that's a cool skill that we'll be able to use 100%. somewhere along the way, and, and that builds the team out because it's giving another way of thinking mm -hmm. as well. The other bit that we're really excited about is um, we've got a really strongly developed cadre of senior developers now, so we're looking to bring in the, the next, you know, a lot of junior developers and get them started on the journey as well, which is key to us because we want to be an active member mm -hmm. in the and the community fostering talent as much as we can as well. Awesome. Hey, look, uh, thanks heaps, Gareth, uh, for sitting down with us today. Great chat. Uh, I'm looking forward to what the next year or two brings. It's going um, to be awesome. Awesome. Hey, look, that's a wrap. Uh, thanks for listening to another uh, episode of Beyond GIS, and uh, we look forward to talking to you next time. Cheers. Alrighty, I hope that was helpful and you got some good content or ideas out of today's episode. If you have any questions, find me on LinkedIn, check the show notes below for the spelling and link, or reach out to us at orbica.com, and I'll catch you in the next one.